What is up, everybody? It's Zach from App Premier Soccer Investing coming at you with yet another Slap Socks FC YouTube video. Uh, this is going to be a really special one. We got Heath Pierce here with us today, former U.S. men's national team player, former professional soccer player. And now you want to just take it away? Yeah. Um, man, am I just taking over this whole episode or what? Not just say. Yeah, talk about your playing career. How you yeah, got you got you got to ask me some questions, man. You got to tee this up a little bit. You got to you got to you know guide me. Uh, I, I'll I'll just give a little brief background. My name is Heath Pierce. Um, as you mentioned, former U.S. Men's National Team player, played professionally for eleven years. Uh, retired at the end of 2015 to get into the media space. Now running a company called um, Creative for a company called Four Soccer Ventures. Uh, we have on-field and off-field products from, from podcast. Uh, we work in content. We, we have an agency internally that we work with brands like CBS Paramount Plus uh, to help them with their soccer expertise, as well as a number of grassroots programs, one of which is called Allianza de Football, which is the nation's largest Hispanic-focused soccer program. It's ID camps, it's clinics, it's tournaments, it's everything, but specifically for the Hispanic marketplace, we're launching one for the black community as well called Black Star Initiative. And uh, yeah, continuing to invest across the board in, 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 in the soccer space over what we're calling the decade of soccer, right? This kind of huge growth curve heading into the hosting or co-hosting the 2026 World Cup. Um, I guess, you know, to start on where I, where I got into card collecting is I've spent the last five years in the digital space, right? And everything was virtual. Everything was just kind of living in the way that we're living now. And I just started to... For sort of yearn for this return to kind of physical touch and feel and things like that, that, that I grew up with, you know, I grew up collecting cards. I was never an avid card collector, uh, in the sports side, but I collected everything from comic books to comic cards to, um, you know, again, your, your regular sort of baseball cards that had the piece of did gum in the back. Like, did you have like the Marvel cards growing up, like the Impel, that type of stuff? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I was never hugely into it. I was just obsessed with holograms back then. I don't remember, if, you know, if you remember know any of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, like the holograms, hologram cards, that was just like my main thing. And it wasn't really specific ones I was looking for. I was just obsessed with trying to get those. And then, yeah, as I became an adult and, and we live in just sort of this virtual world now in the space that I, I work in, I just started wanting to get back to things that I could touch and feel and interact with. You know, when I, when I, I've had a few different shows on YouTube and, and other places. And my favorite times are when you could interact with things, whether it's jerseys or it's just stuff that you can touch, feel and look at and describe and, and, and have others uh, engage with, as opposed to, you know, a lot of the content that I started making when I first retired was digital, right? I would be talking like I'm talking to you and a producer would throw a, a photo over the screen and that was pretty much how it worked and and it still works like that now so for me it's just a kind of another dimension uh for me to engage with and another medium for me to engage with from collecting another touch point to connect with the soccer community and now we're obviously seeing soccer cards reaching far beyond just the soccer community are, are pretty hot and just the 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 memorabilia market right now as well well and i think your story too of how you got into cards rings true for a lot of people like especially myself like I collected cards when I was younger, like in elementary school and stuff. And then I kind of fell away from it. Started, I don't know, playing sports more seriously, didn't have time for it, whatever, this, that, and the other. And then uh, over summer 2020, I just, you know, everything was virtual. I, and I just discovered cards again. And I just, I love that aspect of having the physical card in my possession. And that's why, like, 
I'm on the record of saying this in the past, like I'm not super high on like the NFTs and the digital digital card space and stuff because personally, like why I'm into cards is for that physical touch point and having those cards in your possession. I think there's like immense value in that. Yeah. And- no, I think I think you're spot on there. And I'm I'm the exact same. Look, I think NFTs like anything have a role in the marketplace. And I think the extreme uh, direction of the NFTs, if they hit the way that people that are in the NFT space think they're going to hit, then in theory, physical cards are going to be even more important, right? Because the less you'll have, the less production you'll have, the more that they will have a value. Um, and the more that it'll create a visceral reaction or actually hit your senses in a different way than that I think uh, collecting something virtually can do. At least that that's, that's you know, for me, I've, I've done my research on the NFT space. I, I, I believe in its potential and where things are going. There's obviously like a number of different brands out there creating sort of NFT or, or virtual versions of card collecting. Yeah. And for me, I'm just kind of in this feel, touch and feel space that, you know, I, it's a lot more intimate to me. It's a lot more of a connection. And, you know, whether that's something that's going to change or shift for me in the future, I don't know. But for now, I'm just really enjoying the surprise aspect of feeling in control of something, right? This process of a supply chain that for me to, to rip a pack, it's had to go through this process, right? Of where it started to production from photography to artwork to then being packaged and then in my hands with this mysterious type of thing where if I was ripping packs on the internet in a virtual setting, I don't think I would have that same sort of intimate connection with it where it's just you and these cards and there's this sort of honor and beauty in, in, in the process of which they've gotten to you. And I think, you know, I connect with that uh, on another level because there's somebody that's that's producing these cards. There's somebody that's working in a factory. There's somebody that's taking the photography. There's this whole process that leads to this moment. And albeit there's, there is a process in anything you do, even virtually, but for me to now have it uh, uh, as the end product, I think is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and then I, I just want to circle back to a point you made about, especially if like digital assets really take off the way people say they do, and you say like the scarcity of physical cards will make them even more valuable. I think therein lies the promise with soccer cards too. You look at the pop reports and production lines, all of that stuff compared to basketball cards and football cards and baseball car- cards versus soccer, which is a far bigger sport globally than any of those sports ever will be, frankly. And it's growing massively in the U.S. Like Euro viewership numbers were up so much compared to 2016. You've seen – MLS starting to pull in certain numbers. U.S. men's national team, like this summer, the cup finals got like numbers like the NBA finals did in viewership. Like cards are growing, everything's growing, and the supply just is so low relative to the other sports, especially when you look at like one of the goats, like a Messi or Ronaldo. There's a couple thousand Messi rookie cards across all of his variations. In the PSA pop report, there's hundreds of thousands of Jordan rookie cards, LeBron rookie cards, Luca rookie cards, and he's the GOAT for the biggest sport in the world. And mm-hmm. that's what I don't think has clicked in yet for certain segments of the market that dismiss soccer as like a fad and not as a pumping up and not here to stay long term. Yeah, I think the clever collectors now have started to uh, well, not haven't started to, they've been silent. You know, the best ones have been silent about that because they know it's the hottest marketplace, right? You could just sit in the background and have everybody fighting over a, a baseball or a basketball uh, card. And then you can go out hunting and what feels like overpaying at the time has so much upside just because 
of one, there's a scarcity issue, but two, there's a lack of awareness globally in the value of these types of cards. I remember when I was playing, we'd have to, I would have to sign a certain amount of cards depending on what rights deals that we had in certain leagues with Bundesliga at the time or Major League Soccer at the time that I was playing in, and you'd be signing. And I remember we used to have to sign like X amount per week or per month, or you got fined when I was in Germany. And those were more uh, player collectible cards that they sold in like the fan shops and things like that. But now you're seeing, again, I, as I started to do my research, I saw a number of people that had figured out the soccer game ahead of the curve. And I still think we're ahead of the curve in, on the soccer side of things. And so there's still a lot of value out there. And, you know, I guess my question for you is having been sort of deep, deeper in the space over the last year, what's something that, you know, for, for people that are like me just getting into it, what's the best way in, right? They talk about sneaker collecting and other sort of, you know, scarcity driven sort of industries about kind of the barrier of entry, how to get in, what your mindset should be to get in. I mean, is this a place that people should be looking to, you know, be ripping packs to get rich or is this a passion? Should it start as a passion point? I mean, cause there are all these things that people say, if you're getting into it for the wrong reasons, it ends up bad no matter what. So just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think like you can get getting into it both for the financial and passion aspect is really the sweet spot because you'll be guided, your decisions will be guided, not just based on heart, but with intellectual thinking too. And that should lead to the most value, like going forward. But like the key thing is, I mean, obviously you're in the space, you like, but just watching games, watching games. And then just once you like, you need to learn the, the sport before you can learn the cards. And if you have that, it eliminates half the battle. Like that's, that's how it was for me. I knew basically nothing about cards when I got into it. I'm a lifetime soccer fanatic. And so it just cut my research I had to do in half. And then it's from there, just do the work, look at checklists, look at trends, look at what's in boxes, look at what's selling on eBay and look at what's not. And then go from there and look like, and look at what generates buzz on social media, even though people don't like putting too much stock into like what people are talking about social media at the end of the day, that's where a lot of the market exists. And if there's buzz about a certain product, the, the value is going to be reflected in that too. Yeah. So I guess for, uh, for the journey of, uh, of, of a card, right. Uh, talk, I would love to know just about your thoughts on, on trends, right? Cause I work in this, right. I work on, I work in television. I do podcasts. I do TV work. I do uh, broadcast work. I, I do all these things. So I'm constantly following the news cycle and you look at things where a player like Timo Werner, who has a card increase happening during a time where he's not playing at his best, or you have Others that, you know, you're seeing these spiking moments take a uh, Ricardo Pepe right now for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, I mean, how much of that about, about having a card is then, and I guess each one is is a different circumstance, but is it about trying to get that card at that time or is it trying to like sell that card? Is it trying to then, you know, get that card so you can sell that card in the future because you're hedging on it or is, is it all of the above? Well, I think like right now or like where the market has been is it, it goes through like periods of bull runs and then it, it dies and bull runs and dies. And it's all centered around basically one of three things, a big transfer, the champions league or huge international matches is what drives the market. So with Pepe, we saw him. That was the U S absolutely needed to win that game. Everyone knew it. the country was watching. The world was frankly watching to see it. the U S was going to take that step towards world cup qualifying and we needed someone to emerge, and he was the one who did. And then for Werner, his 
major run of prices was when he got that transfer to Chelsea. Everyone was excited mm -hmm. about that. Werner, main man at Chelsea, the number nine, he'll be banging in goals. And then you also have like guys in the Champions League, like Holland's prices still. He's obviously a spe spectacular player. They still haven't seen the heights they did last spring when he was taking Dortmund through the Champions League and scoring goals. So like that's, I think, where the market is. So it's, it's about timing those things. So if you think a player is going to have a big run in the Champions League this year, now might be the time to buy him. And even, even through the group stages is the time to buy him because you're really going to see like the price increases and the knockouts. And then for international players, it's the same thing. Wait, you have till the World Cup really now to make your moves. There's going to be certain guys that pop off and World Cup qualified like Pepe, but for overall, it's it's really going to be the World Cup that drives their market. And then like predicting the transfer window too. It was pretty. It's normally pretty obvious if you're doing your research who's on the move in a given window and who isn't. And so you can if you buy three four months ahead of that, you normally will end up on top too. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, would you be looking if uh, if a random person was like, "Hey, well, what should I do? Should I be buying a box? Should I be just trying to buy exact cards? I mean, where where would I, as an entry point, try to get into the space?" So, say, um, I think Ricardo Pepe is probably a good example as a low barrier of entry for somebody into the sport that is like, "Okay, you saw this big moment happen." Uh, and by the way, I I do want to say that. I, uh, I had made a comment. Yeah. I had made a comment about him that, uh, caused some commotion on the internet. And fortunately he delivered at least for one game, uh, for the national team, uh, in the second half, but uh, a player like him and maybe, maybe the upside isn't there because it's a little bit too early to know, but say, um, I'm, I'm wanting to get his, his card. Is it better to just be buying? Cause I saw somebody somewhere, some, something somewhere was he had a, uh, there was a sale of his card for 4,000. That happened in the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, so yeah. His orange autos in the MOS box, those are out of 25. Yeah, they've hit. I think two have sold for around $4,000 in the past like 24 hours or so. With him, like right now is not the optimum time. You don't want to buy a player on its on like the peak of his hype. It's yeah. If you believe in him long term, which I think he's given a lot of reason for people to do so so far in his career – then I would say to wait a couple more months, not even like even past this next international window, wait till there's a longer break between international windows because he he is playing in the MLS and the buzz isn't there for big MLS performances. Even if he's scoring goals week in and week out for FC Dallas, that's not yeah. really going to drive his market until he gets either a move to Europe or more games with the U.S. So I would wait on him. But like to hit the three points I was saying about like what really drives the market, I think like the perfect example of a player and I've, this is who I've been buying up recently to lock in on for someone like that is killing Mbappe. He has a very likely impending transfer to Madrid next summer. Mm -hmm. It'll be on a free, but it doesn't matter. That's the arguably the biggest club in the world. And he'd become the face of it. He has a great shot to win the champions league with PSG. That squad is ridiculous. And even though Matt, he's sharing the spotlight with Messi and Neymar, he'll still score goals if they're winning games and they probably will. And then he plays for France, and even though they had their drama this summer, he didn't play great for them. You still, they still have to be again one of the favorites in the next World Cup. So it's, it's trying to find guys I think that hit either two or three of those three aspects are the best way to go for like buying for financial reasons. And when you buy when you buy on financial reasons like that, 
what is the, you know, I, I, you know, I told you that the, I was sitting on all these boxes the other day. I finally moved into my, I moved into a new house a couple months ago mm-hmm. and was just sitting on these boxes. And I was just like, you know what? I, I need to just open these. And they were, it's like therapy, you know, just one at a time enjoying it. And I pulled some, what I think are, are great cards. And I don't know if that's actually true or not. So I guess my question is like, you talk about an Mbappe, like it's just pulling an Mbappe of any value or is it just specialty more in the limited editions, the autos, the, you know, um, or is a refractor, a valuable card? Is it like sort of what, what walk me through that as sort of an amateur and beginner in this space, kind of what, what should I be looking for if I'm t- thinking about, um, a killing Mbappe? Okay. Well, so for Mbappe or just like any hot, like prospect or like young player in general, the base rookie stuff will still sell well. So if you're hitting, if you're opening products like from the rookie, like for Mbappe, if you're opening 2017 top scrum champions, you hit his base card, that's still going to sell. Or if you're opening this year's Bundesliga Chrome and you're hitting a Bellingham or a Mukoko, that will sell. Exactly. That's one right there. I got a Mukoko as well, by the way. Yeah, I've ripped one of those boxes. I think I had, I got two Bellingham and one Mukoko base and one Verts, but the Verts doesn't have the rookie logo, but. For like the less buzzy players, but that still have juice in the market, you really want to be trying to hit the refractors, the numbered colors, the autos, less so the relic cards that doesn't carry as much value, especially in the soccer market, because the patches generally aren't game or match worn and they generally aren't multicolored. So you're really looking for autos and again, refractors and color from those rookie year products. And then if it's a non-rookie year product, you really want to be hitting a low numbered auto or a refractor. It's really not going to carry too much value. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. These, uh, I opened this, uh, tier one. I think it was Bundesliga tier one. Yeah. And I got all these random things in it and I don't know what they're, what they're meant to be. Um, I don't know if you can see any of that. Yeah. Like the, the little, like, relic patch yeah it's got like little patches in it they're 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 all numbered which is cool but like you know this is a one of one um but like at the same time i'm like what's the value in any of this or is this just like kind of a nice to have or um oh that's another question i have for you right is i i hear a lot of people that do some of these box breaks and live breaks and things like that talking about how you can actually tap into for a number of these cards. I probably got a thousand cards I'm sitting on from the last couple of days um, that I just opened that there's like communities where I, I just randomly for all the Bundesliga, I did a Bundesliga Chrome. I did this tier one Bundesliga and it, it's like a lot of Eintracht Frankfurt stuff. What, what does somebody do when they end up with a whole bunch of stuff that is not a value to me but there's like number there's auto there's all kinds of stuff from a single team is there communities out there that you can be kind of linking up with is it you know how do you how do you move cards like that i mean i'm not personally active in that stuff but i know there's like different facebook groups and twitter like little communities and that type of stuff too or like another like good way to sell those would be to like package all your frankfurt for cards as a lot and try to sell that on ebay and like you know, give a description for what's in it and that that sort of thing. But I also just want to circle back. You were talking about like the Mbappe and what you're looking for and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like when you're investing in like a guy like Mbappe, it's still like there's a reason certain rookie type versions of his cards carry more value than others. Like 
the 2017 Topps Chrome Champions League card is a higher value card than his 2018 Prism. And it's not just because of the year. It's because it's a better looking card. So you want to find like the stuff with the more collectible aspects to it too, like mm -hmm. the design and all that type of stuff also. And the photography in it too, because like the 2017 top scrum and bop is obviously a photo of him playing in the game, but the, his prism card is just like, it's his chest up. It could be from any photo shoot. It doesn't have that like game feel to it. Right. Affects right. the value in a negative way. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And is there, is there, is there a value fluctuation on, you know, Mbappe leaves, therefore there's no more PSG, uh, cards. Is there, is there a scarcity value to that? Or is it just more based on like market value and market trends that he's going through and, and now Real Madrid would be, uh, going through, or is there a value on like, Hey, there's no more cards being produced. So, a standard uh, Chrome Mbappe that I got, like uh, let's take this one right here that I just found. Um, tell me if you can see that. Yeah, it's just a standard whatever. Um, is there is there an increase in value of that when he? Oh, I guess that's a refractor. But uh, when when he leaves, or is it just general? Is it based on other factors that you'd mentioned? I mean, it, you've got, it can be seen a little bit in like the basketball card market, like certain LeBron Prism cards, like throughout his years of playing, have more value than others. Like his 2019 Prism is his first Laker Prism card, so that carries more value. But it like that type of trend really hasn't been seen yet as much in the soccer market. Now, does it get there as it grows and matures? Possibly. I would think if it were to see, it wouldn't be like, Oh, it's his random third year with PSG. That card's gonna have value, but I could see like, should he move to Madrid? His cards from that first year in Madrid could carry a little bit of a bit of a premium over his cards from two years ago with PSG or his cards from two years later with Madrid too. So like, there's like some sort of like underlying significance possibly, but it hasn't really played out too much yet in the yeah. soccer market. That's fair. All right. What else? What else is there? Oh, I just what do you I just want to get your thoughts. You're a former US men's national team player. We this was obviously a dramatic international window. We had injuries, the whole McKenney breaking protocol, getting set home situation. Mm -hmm. The results weren't great. There were questions of the tactics, the mentality, all of that. Just what were your thoughts on this uh international window for the US? Um yeah, I, I think, you know, I've gone through qualifying cycles before and I feel there was a false sense of confidence in this team coming out of the Nations League and the Gold Cup, right? I think winning a Gold Cup is really hard. To beat Mexico twice in the summer is very, very hard. And to do it with two completely different groups, I think um, only furthers the, the kind of... Uh, subconscious bias towards being better than, than, than we think we are. It's a weird time for the national team because we have, I think, what, 10, 12 players playing in Champions League clubs this year. We have played, we, have, we now have our first Champions League winner who's played in the, in the Champions League final with, with Pulisic, Weston McKinney playing most games at Juventus. You know, you just have a, a different generation of players. And so we're kind of caught between two things, which is 
one, how much talent we've had, which we've never had before. And then two, how you play with the national team, both home and away. Playing at home, I thought the U.S. played really poorly against Canada. And that's the game that I really had pressure on them. I don't know if we'll ever go to El Salvador or to Honduras or to Panama or to Jamaica, for that matter, and play anybody off of the pitch. I think those are always going to be dogfights. And I think our team forgot what it took to win the Nations League when they went down to El Salvador, right? You see El Salvador on paper. I don't think they were arrogant against El Salvador as a team. I just think you don't know what CONCACAF's like till you get there. And you can play in a Nations League final in Denver, Colorado, and you feel like you're in Mexico City because it's 90% Mexican fans and it's loud and it's hostile and you're getting hit with bottles. And it's just got all of those CONCACAF-type things that go into it. But you're not dealing with the travel. You're not in the terrible hotels. You're not playing on these awful pitches. You're not dealing with, I'm sure, like, when they were in El Salvador, that there was fans launching fireworks outside the hotel all night so they couldn't sleep. Stuff like that seems to always happen in CONCACAF too, right? Yeah, it's and, and even if you took all those factors you just said out of it, as soon as you step on the field and you hear the horns and the fans and you can feel the earth below you shaking because these fans are going so crazy and you can see them, they've got a moat basically and 15-foot fences between you and the fans and all these things that... And you're wondering why the security need AK-47s and they're standing around the field with canine dogs and all this stuff. You go, what, what's all this stuff for, right? And then in the first 10 minutes against El Salvador, the U.S. came out hard. And I was like, okay, we're going to – this actually could be the generation that dominates these games. And then eventually, 15 minutes in, and they had a decent-looking chance in the first 10 minutes. And then yeah. eventually El Salvador settled in. And then there is something that you cannot describe when you are one of these – Central American countries playing against the U.S., a country of extreme privilege, a country of extreme, um, yeah, just just a, a world different than what you come from. You dig in and tap into something very different. Eric Zavaleta is a is a friend of mine. He played for El, El Salvador. He grew up in the U.S. He's got an El, I think his mom is El Salvadorian. He's actually Greg Vanny's nephew, um, who's the coach for the LA Galaxy, yeah. um, and. He went and played with them. Uh, Christian Roldan, they both grew up in Los Angeles uh, or near Los Angeles. Um, yeah, uh, Christian Roldan, Alex Roldan goes down to play for El Salvador. And both of them were two of the better players on that day. Those guys wouldn't be in the 100-player pool for the U.S. men's national team. But on that day, I would have put them into our U.S. national team pool immediately in the way that they played. So there's just some things that happen when you go to, Con when you go to these CONCACAF nations that brings out the best in those countries, the pride of the crest, what it means to play in front of these fans, the atmosphere, the energy. You feel very, very, very far from home. I remember my very first qualifier away was, was against Guatemala. And this guy named Loco Rodriguez played against me. I was playing left back. He was playing right wing. And he stood at the midline and the, and the touchline for the whole game waiting for the ball. And he ran me to the corner flag every time he got the ball. And I remember just thinking like, oh, I'm so much better than this guy. But this guy is literally running me to the corner flag. Every single time he gets the ball, he's running me to the corner flag. And I remember going home after the game. We ended up, I think we ended up drawing or winning 1-0. But I remember as soon as the game was over, we like ran into the locker room and where you could feel safe again because it was like just this hostile environment. It was a qualifier. There was a lot going on. And I remember surviving it going like, 
okay, now, now I understand. Because again, I'm doing the same thing. I'm telling, I have a podcast with Mark McKenzie. I told Mark, you don't know anything about CONCACAF until you experience it. So he goes and experiences CONCACAF in the Nations League final, plays in that one. Mark makes a big mistake in the very first minute. They fight back and they, and they win this one. Now he thinks he knows CONCACAF. I go, bro, you don't know CONCACAF because that's a step. That's playing Mexico in the U.S. And it felt like an away game. When you go down there somewhere else, just wait. And Greg Berhalter was big on this theme for this whole camp, which was like, you, you can't explain it. And you laugh it off. And when I, when I host my podcast, we get all these guys that tell their craziest CONCACAF story. And you have Eddie Pope told us about them getting mace sprayed as they walked out of the tunnel. You know, guys talk about, you know, bags of pee being thrown at them. I've been hit with coins, lighters, you know, rocks, all kinds of stuff while you're running out, right? And your brain and your body goes into this fight or flight mode. When you got to go out of a tunnel under umbrellas because of what's going to get hurled at you, you don't have this ability to be like, oh, that's funny. You have this, your brain and your mind tells you you're not in a safe place. And whether you are or you aren't, you don't know. You just know that your brain is telling you like fight or flight mode. You know, you go into this other level and that affects everything that happens around you. The way that you vary thing, the speed of the game, the, the, all of these variables that go into it. So yeah, that's a super long answer. I apologize, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's just, it's that goes into what CONCACAF was. So to finish my, my answer on, on this last camp, I was extremely disappointed in the way that the team played in against Canada. I think that the team played really poorly again, switching to a three back, um, in, in the third match against Honduras. I think in the second half was the first time that I saw what made them good in the gold cup and the nation's league. The U.S. played terrible in the Gold Cup for the first games. Like, they didn't look good. But all they did is they had this collective fight that picked yeah. up from the, on the back of the Nations League. The U.S. could have lost to Honduras in the Nations League semifinal. The U.S. could have lost to Mexico in the final. But, but they just fought their way through these things. They dug deep, and that's how you win in these types of things. Then you go back to Chelsea, and you can play beautiful, or go to Dortmund and play a gig and press that's unbelievable, or, 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 or RB Salzburg or RB Leipzig or whatever. These guys all come from these different things. But in CONCACAF, no, there's no free lunch. No one's sitting back letting you walk through them. They're going to sit back and go, I'm going to make your life as hard as possible today. And that's what teams are good at doing. And now, the last thing I would say is they've respected the U.S. to the point now that, that they're like, we'll sit even deeper and make you have to beat us with something spectacular. And the U.S. is going to have to grow and learn and evolve as a team because teams are going to get smarter and be like, oh, yeah, obviously, if we open up and we're exposed, this team has a ton of talent that will beat us. But what if we don't do that? And then we'll see if they can make plays. And so, yeah, they're, they're going through all that right now. I think finishing on five points. Um, and the upside, I would say, about this team is that they, they don't know how to lose. They continuously find ways to stay in games. They draw. They win. They haven't lost. They have very few losses ever under Greg Berhalter, which, you know, leads you down that line of like, yeah, well, how many of them are draws? But then you go, well, how many of them could have been losses? And yeah. they can't continuously stay into it. So I think there's something special there. But now they've got to get to that next step. Yeah. And people like have questioned Berhalter's tactics in this window and in the past. And I think rightfully so. But I do have to say is that his whole tenure in charge, it's always seemed like the players will run through a brick wall for him which I think at the end of the day is what you need to get through CONCACAF. And I don't think that was there for Klinsman in the last cycle. And I don't think it was there for Arena either. And it showed it, the lack of heart, the lack of like ability to grind results out, especially on the road, was what sunk us the last time. And they did show that ability today. I think, though, another interesting point you said about the back three and the problems with that tactically, too, is – I think the U.S. might have a bit of a Serginho Des problem because 
obviously he's one of our best players, super talented, amazing on the ball, amazing technically. But they play worse when they transition to the back three to get him in the system. And he doesn't defend well enough, or especially in a team setting, to play as a right back in a back four. And they have that like conundrum facing them of how do we get him in the team and keep strong defensively at the same time? Yeah, this is a good problem to have. And by the way, I, I, th- I've got this one sitting on top. Tell me if you like this here. This is a uh, Serginho Dest refractor. I don't know if it's uh, if it's, no, up, it's that's yeah. a cool card. Yeah, it's uh, I, I it's just kind of have an American at Barcelona uh, outside, and I got a, I've got a Barcelona Conrad in here too. But to have a guy who's playing and transferred there, I think is pretty cool. But I think it, it's it, as you mentioned, um, that's a good problem for Greg to have now, right? Which is like, is Serginho Dest the guy that you unlock at home? Um, I mean, certainly, I would certainly think. So, because you can play in a more attacking scenario, you should be able to dominate the run of play, the flow of play. But you start to look at it, and now we're going to run into the next phase of our development as as a country. Is all these players developing in different systems? Is one are they are they do they have a high enough IQ to adjust? Do they have a willingness to play a certain way that the team needs them to play? Right, you give them parameters, and can they be creative within those parameters of of their position? And I think Sergio Dest, and the same thing that we saw with um, John Anthony Brooks. This is literally one of the highest paid, most highly regarded players in the defenders in the Bundesliga. He's literally considered a top three Bundesliga center back. And he looked like one of the worst players we had. How is that possible? They're a Champions League club. They literally sit at the top. They compete for with with everyone. He's one of the highest paid defenders in the league. And then he comes into CONCACAF and he looks all over the place. Well, is it a, is it a system issue? Are we not playing the right things? And then you take him out. You have Mark McKenzie in there. You have uh, Robinson, the Robinsons, and you're just like, yo, these guys are willing to scrap, fight. Like, as soon as Mark McKenzie sort of felt like it was his back line, his game changed. He was uh, he was literally uh, like a closeout one-on-one defender, won all of his battles for the rest of the game. But when when John Anthony Brooks was on, Mark looked uncomfortable. John Anthony Brooks didn't look look all that great. And so it's all of these kinds of guys where you're like, man, well, well how do they fit into the national team? Like, how do you tell a guy like Sergio Dest or tell the fans like, hey, Sergio Dest, who starts every game for Barcelona, doesn't start on our national team. How is that possible, right? And unfortunately, that's because of the fact that like when Serginho is on, you want him on all the time. But you also don't want him doing the same thing as Christian Pulisic is going to do. So if you're going to put two right-footed players on the left-hand side, how are you creating width? How yeah. are you creating those advantages? And so when when they're both on the same side, I think that doesn't work as well. And then Serginho Des has to be an 8, 9, or a 10 every single time, like in terms of like out of a 10 scale of uh, of, of his performances. If he's going to be an 8, 9, or 10 for the U.S. men's national team every single time, then you leave him on the field no matter who you're playing against. But if you're going to get a 9 and a 10 and then a 6 and then a 7 and then a 9 and then a 4, and like you can't trust on that in CONCACAF in these games that matter because he's so good going forward, but he's such a liability defensively and tactically that you can't have a fullback be a person that the whole team is going to shift around and performances has been spotty right uh, you know we we saw him from the very first games with the national team where he was really shaky defensively to then you see him on the ball in times and you're like man this guy glides past people and so it's kind of the give or take of who are the best players to get us results in CONCACAF versus who are the best players that the U.S. has obviously it's the most talented group we've ever had but you know when it comes down to, to qualifying in CONCACAF sometimes and I think Greg's gonna face that uh, throughout this qualifying process, or who are the guys that are going to roll up their sleeves, scrap, and fight for points on the road? And then if you need to reward them with home games, great, uh, because I think we're 
good enough to beat all these teams uh, at home uh, moving forward. It's just, it needs to start with that. Take all the quality that we have and then start with that mentality that got us those wins this summer and add that to that quality. And I think that's where we're kind of stuck between, which is like playing yeah. beautifully with this quality or just working really hard. One last thing. Like, did you ever deal with like something like with the McKenney situation that ever happened in one of the camps you were in where a player had to get sent home because of, I mean, obviously you didn't have COVID protocols, but there's still like the team rules, curfews, all that kind of stuff going on. Like, yeah. I mean, I experienced that on every team that I had of players breaking rules. Um, it's hard as an adult to be told what you can and can't do, right? It's hard when you're a young adult to be told what you can and can't do. This is a guy that went from playing at Schalke for a team that was sort of near the bottom. And when he got there, they were better. But on this sort of downward trajectory, and he became this bigger player. And then now all of a sudden, you're at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And now all of a sudden, you're making crazy amounts of money. And now all of a sudden, you're the super global star. And in your hometown, you you know, you kind of get everything. It's hard not to have uh, to think that you're above the law at times. And I'm not saying it's just him. That happened on every team that I played on. I broke protocols. I broke rules at times. I came home after curfew at times. It's and and it's just a time and place I think, which is which is the issue. I think there was probably players that were breaking protocols in Denver. I think there were probably players breaking protocols all the time. But with COVID, I think it's a different level because we saw with Zach Steffen testing positive for COVID. There's just this increased risk and selfish factor that goes into this right yeah. like how your actions might affect the team on the field in terms of your performance shoot if you can go out every night and you can show up and perform like a number of guys do in the nba a number of guys do uh like brazilians are notorious for being partiers in europe and and they show up the next day and and they and they're and they're magical ronaldinho is a perfect example of that yeah, I was about um, to say it. yeah and then you had other guys like adriano who who couldn't handle it and their careers kind of shorten over time because the, the balance isn't there but the point I'm trying to make is I don't think anybody has an issue with people's lifestyles and how they affect rules and things like that. Like if you get caught, you get caught, you got to pay the price. But when there is this, uh, there, there is this factor of like what you do has an effect on me. And then what I do, what that I'm controlling, I'm sacrificing all this. Like you think when I come from Europe, I don't want to be able to just see friends and family and go out and do my thing and blah, blah. Of course I do, especially because I'm stuck in a COVID world right now where I'm locked in the house and I'm not allowed to go anywhere or do anything. I get all that. But that decision now has the ability to affect everyone, right? Whether it's, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, it just has the consequences are a little more extreme. We've seen with that. And I don't like take Weston McKinney out of it. Just the COVID situation that we're in right now as a world People will constantly have to make decisions. Do I want to be in this place? Do, should I get, be in this environment? Should I go around these people? And that's a constant stress that we all live with. And so I can understand people's needs to unwind and get out and feel like they're potentially, they thought they're in a safe space or a safe place. Um, and maybe they did all their due diligence to be in the environments that they were in. Um, but it's still one of those things where you, you got to think about the team first and the impact that it could have and that, you know, um, yeah, just sort of the ramifications of, of the decisions that we make. But I had, I did it myself. I had plenty of teammates that did it. It was a regular thing, whether it's at the club level or international level, that players would break uh, rules or protocols and not protocols, but like team rules, uh, you know, being, being in at a certain time, you know, in your rooms at a certain time, depending on the team and the rules and all that stuff. Like it, 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 it happens. I don't, I don't want to say regularly, but it does happen. Yeah, of course. All right, so wrap it up with a little bit of Champions League talk because 
We got the UCL starting back up this week. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to just go through group by group and see who do you think is coming out each group. We'll start with uh, Group A. That's a uh, City, Paris, Leipzig, and Club Bruges. Um, yeah, hold on. I'm just bringing up the groups in front of me real quick so I can have them so I can okay. see them too. Okay, Group A, Club Bruges, definitely not getting out. Uh, PSG and Man City. I think RB Leipzig is really going to struggle. They've struggled in the Bundesliga so far under Jesse Marsh. Um, I think the hard part is I think they've got one win in their first games in the Bundesliga so far, and then they're going to they play their first game against Manchester City away um, at the Etihad. So that's going to be a difficult one for them. I don't see... I don't. I I could see RB Leipzig even needing to salvage their Bundesliga season through a good Europa League run. So I could see them finishing off third in this group and 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 dropping down into the Europa League. I think that's still how they do it, uh, if I'm not <laughs> yeah, mistaken, with the new with the yeah. new um, leagues yeah. this year. But uh, PSG and Manchester City for sure coming out of that. And I think uh, I'm guessing Man City come out on top. They've got more depth, and and I could see PSG rotating a number of those big stars for at least half of these games in the group stages, knowing that they're going to cruise through. And then we might see them try to roll out their full strength lineup for, for the knockout rounds. Really? I, I, I think uh, PSG is going to be pretty comfortable coming out on top. I, this city squad is, it's obviously, obviously still elite. It's just, it's not the same team it's been in the past couple of years. And I think PSG is really going to have like a heightened focus in the Champions League games. Cause it's, League One is even more of a cakewalk for them than it normally is because they've lost with the financial problems in France. They've lost even more talent than they normally lose in a given summer. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think Leipzig will struggle too. That losing like Sabitzer and Upa Meccano, not really replacing either of those, it has really hurt them so far this season. Yeah, I would say the last thing I would say to that is that you know we saw that so far this season in League One, they're already I think they're perfect on 15 points after five games and they're not even playing their big players. And so when you think about like the return on investment from a Messi, you're only really brought him in to win the champions league. Right. Yep. And so you're trying to manage minutes. And the reason you have this depth now, or at least some depth is so that you can like Neymar and Messi didn't feature uh, in, in the first games and Neymar was actually healthy, but they're just like, they, they're going to treat these guys differently. So I think they'll be used sparingly, which could lead to, if you saw they were, they're vulnerable at times out of the back. Yeah. Again, not, not their full strength lineup, but in terms of depth, I think there is an opportunity to to get some points uh, off of them if they're going to rotate these guys. Because you think about Neymar, he's always injured. When he's injured, Mbappe tends to play his best because he becomes the star of the team. I see the same thing for Messi. He's up there in age, and you're like, just manage his minutes, only use him when we have to, and keep him in form. And so that's my only reason for for dropping them to two. Whereas Man City play the same system, and they're, they're deeper in terms of like they don't play – they're not playing um, – there's not bit one big star that's got a. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne maybe, but like they they've got a number of players in ways that they could break you down death by possession. That's true. That's true. Group B: Atletico, Liverpool, Porto, and Milan. This is another really, really strong group here. Man, it's tough to bet against Milan right now. They're top of the table with with uh, Roma right now in in Syria, but uh, you know uh, Liverpool, I think, are going to be similar to last year. Liverpool. Uh, similar to the last year with Manchester City, if, if you remember Manchester City in the Premier League last year, no one was really talking about them because it was Liverpool's year, right? They were talking about this dynasty that Liverpool were going to have. Um, and so they flew under the radar until about January and they were just picking up results and results and results. And then they hit their run of form. They started a little bit poorly, but then they hit this run of form that no one could catch them. I think the yeah. same thing's going to happen for Liverpool this year where 
because you have this reemergence of, of Ronaldo at, at United, you've now got Lukaku at Chelsea, you've got Manchester City who are obviously the champions, that's going to allow a Liverpool to kind of drift under the radar and I think put up a, a, a title run. Um, that's going to make them a really good team that's going to take a little bit of that pressure and maybe even give them a chip on their shoulder for not being widely regarded as the favorite within the league. If you saw them play this last week and they were absolutely incredible and could have scored nine, 10 goals, they didn't. But, you know, Mosala scoring, um, Sadio Mane scoring, and they've just got uh, a number of different threats and a fully fit team with Virgil van Dijk back that I think they yeah. finished top. Who are the other teams in there? Atletico, Porto, and Milan. Oh, man. Yeah, that's another tough one. Um, I think Atletico yeah. has to go through. I think they've putting Griezmann back in that. I think he's going to go back to the Griezmann of old that we've seen in the past. I really like the signing of Mateus Cunha for them too to replace Saul. And I just think Simeone in the Champions League, he knows how to get the job done. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And and uh, the only thing that I, I'm, I'm hoping for this year with them is, uh, is João Felix to really emerge. I think, I think Simeone did a great job over the last couple of years of working him in. Uh, to build his confidence, but it never looked like he rounded that corner in terms of the quality of the player that we're expecting of Joe Felix. So I'd like to see him have a big year in the Champions League as well. Yeah, that would be people in the card market would be very happy about that. A lot of people are holding Joe Felix right now and waiting for him to fulfill his potential. Uh, moving on to Group C, they have Sporting, Dortmund, Ajax, and Beskitas. I think that's a pretty open and shut group with Dortmund at the top and then. Ajax will probably be that second team. Yeah, the thing about Ajax is that they run with so many young players that are high performers that, uh, you know, I, I would love to see them perform consistently in the group. I think you said it's Benfica, right? Is the other? other? No, sporting. Sporting. Okay, Sporting. Yeah, I could see Ajax winning that. Sporting have a chance. They're always kind of a dark horse in these European competitions. Yeah. A lot of history there. And then Besiktas, same thing, like, some of those they can I, I don't think they're they're gonna finish second, but they're a team that, you know, when you're traveling away to Istanbul, there there's gonna be some opportunities to to give up some points. Yeah, crazy, crazy there. But yeah, I think you're I think you're right with the I'm gonna go with the same uh one and two there. Then group D of Inter, Real, Shakhtar, and Sheriff. I feel like Inter Real and Shakhtar in a group together every year. Might just be me, but I feel like that's happened like the past three years running. Yeah, and do you remember Shakhtar beat, I think it was, they beat Madrid their first yeah. game. They were playing at the Alfredo Di Stefano last season when they were repairing the um, Bernabeu Stadium. And uh, Shakhtar is just one of these one of these European teams that are just so hard to play. They always have some young Brazilians that are really good. And yeah, just I, I, I don't really think Shakhtar get out. I think they finish. I think FC Sheriff is Bulgarian. Uh, Bulgarian side, and so I don't, I, I just don't really expect much from them in this group. Uh, and I could see them kind of falling out by 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 midway through in terms of having yeah. a chance to go through. And Shakhtar finishing third, and I'm going to go with Real Madrid. Kareem Benzema had two goals and assists this weekend. He continues to be the one sort of like carrying the squad under Ancelotti. And then Inter Milan, I don't know how they replace Lukaku. I think they they lost. I think it was to Sampdoria over the weekend and or Drew. Um, and and that stopped their perfect start. I don't know how they're going to respond uh, this year. I don't know if they're, they're going to win Syria, but you know, uh, a deep run in the champions league could at least be uh, an admirable run and a, and a, and a champions league finish in the league. I'm actually, I think Shakhtar will get that second spot. I think inter just is one of those teams that can't win in the champions. League. I think 
there are three years on the spin now that they finished third in their group when they've been expected to go through. And I, I just, they've gotten worse from when they were. I think they finished fourth last year. Or yeah, they might have because they went out and people were talking about. I, I I'm I I'm I'm not sure if that's factual, but they went out and that's what allowed them. They had nothing to focus on but the league, and then they ran away with the league because uh, they were knocked out of Europe for that exact reason. Yeah, I just I they for whatever reason don't win in Europe, and I I just I don't know. I feel like Shakhtar is a tough team to beat and uh, to play against in the Champions League because that's what they build their whole everything up to is the Champions League for them, and I think they're gonna get that and go through. And, Inter will mm-hmm. drop down to the Europa League. Uh, moving on to Group B, E, not B. Bayern, Barca, Benfica, and Dynamo Kiev. Bayern, Barca, Benfica, and Dynamo Kiev. Why is why isn't this in front of me? Oh, there it is. Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's uh, it's it's great. This Barcelona Bayern, they've got so much history there, and it's funny that they're playing each other in the very first match day. But yeah. uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm going to go with Bayern uh, on top of that group. And again, just sort of, they're very just sort of to the point and Barcelona finishing second. I don't really think Kiev, they've got this Mircea Luchescu. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the coach and he's like the winningest or like top three winningest coach in Europe ever in, in Champions League or European competitions. Uh, just because he, I think he was the coach at actually Shakhtar for years um, and now he's, he's at Dinamo Kiev and he's, he's kind of got this crazy track record of winning of matches one, uh, in the champions league. So he's always one that finds way to get, to win, get, get wins year after year. Granted he's, you know, he's been coaching in the champions league for decades, but, uh, yeah, that one's a pretty clear one to me on who finishes up top. And then I do think Kiev could, could sneak away in third, but Benfica is strong too. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Uh, group F. Villarreal, United, Atalanta, and Young Boys. Uh, Man United way out on top, obviously, yeah. on that one. Uh, and then it, it, just looking at Man United over the weekend, knowing that they've got so much more depth in their squad now, um, I could see I could see us not seeing Ronaldo against any of these teams in the Champions League group stages. But knowing him, he's going to want to be the top scorer uh, yeah. and and well, beat uh, Mbappe or or uh, Holland. So uh, I'm going to go with Manchester United on top. And then, oh, man, it's hard. Um, keep your eye out also for the for uh, Pfock Jordan Pfock. Save it to at Young Boys for anybody that's that's uh, a USMNT fan. Uh, and I'm I'm going to go with Atalanta. They've struggled. Uh, they, they lost again over the weekend uh, in Syria, but they're just a team that's really fun to watch. They score a ton of goals, and they sell players, and they bring more players, and they continue to form. It's like a really kind of hidden gem um, in the Bergamo region of, of Italy. So I'm going to go with uh, Manchester U- Manchester 1, Atalanta 2, Villarreal 3. I'm going to go Villarreal 2. I think they're coming off the winning the Europa League. I think Unai Emery does a pretty good job of managing in Europe. And I think they were able to keep that squad basically all together again to run it back again this season. So I, I like them to come out of that group and make it to the knockout round. I don't know, man. Unai Emery's the king of the Europa League, though. You know, like he's uh, he loves his teams in the Europa League. He's got to he's got to get them there, and then he goes on runs. But yeah, that's a that's a solid shout, though, for sure. Then Group G, you have uh, Lille, Sevilla, Salzburg, and Wolfsburg. This one's crazy because we've got two Americans, three Americans in this group, and and uh, and a Canadian, and so it's pretty pretty wild. But this is what I'm talking about, man. We got John Anthony Brooks playing Wolfsburg in the champ for Wolfsburg in the Champions League, 
and look like our worst player against Honduras in World Cup qualifying. Uh, Lille, all, I think they've got one point to start the season or two points. They're way down by the bottom they of the gun. So I think the whole squad basically. What's that? They like sold off most of their team from last season. Their fi- their finances are awful. Yeah, and then Salzburg, I think I think on the back of Brendan Aronson's couple goals, got them into the group stages. They're a team that's really good in Europa League, but uh, but I think Champions League is one step too far for them. So I'm I'm actually going with Sevilla uh, at the top, Wolfsburg second, uh, and then it's a scrap for third between Salzburg and Lille. But if Lille could see this as an opportunity to salvage their season by getting out of the group stages, getting some more finances in, because there's there's just a, a mechanism of every round. Obviously, they make quite a bit of money yeah. both on TV and whatnot. So I could see Lille uh, snagging that third spot. What about you? I think Salzburg will get it, but I agree with you. The two teams at the top. Uh, but I just I, I want I want Aaronson to stay in Europe too for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be rooting for that also. And then last group, Group H. Chelsea, Juve, Zenit, and Malmo. Yeah, this one's straightforward for me too. I'm going Chelsea at top. I think Juve figure it out in this group stage. Uh, I think Zenit, anytime you have to go to to that long of a travel, which is pretty standard U.S. travel, um, but is not very standard when you're playing uh, in Europe or or Western Europe, that kind of travel can can hurt playing on at Zenit, which I think is a turf pitch. Uh, is tough. Zenit are notoriously good in Europe anyway, so I think that they could be they could sneak away or steal some points out of this group as well. Um, but, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, and then Malmo are just along for the ride. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think this is a good place to, to end this episode. A mar- definitely a marathon one for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this is really going to be a good one that adds a lot of value for the people who watch. Uh, yeah, no, no problem. You want to say where people can find you on social media, all that stuff? Yeah, you can find me at Heath Pierce on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and yeah, uh, at Four Soccer Ventures is not a thing, uh, but our company's called Four Soccer Ventures. You can look us up uh, if you're interested in, in, in learning more about us. Uh, and then I need, I need you to give me advice on one more card before we go. Okay. I'm trying to find it. I got this. I got this. Tell me if it's worth anything. Um, I don't know where it went, but it's, it's, uh, Come on, where's it at? It's uh, I got a Lewandowski auto, um, from the uh, 1920 UCL Chrome, and I don't know, uh, I don't know where it went, but uh, yeah, you it's think show, that it's a sticker auto, right? What? It's a sticker auto. It's a sticker auto. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that was the other thing I was going to ask you. You know, I know a bunch of these people. If I got, if I got the cards actually signed, does that hurt or help the value? That would definitely help the value if you can get it authenticated and stuff too. How do you, how do you like, you can send it somewhere to have it authenticated? Yeah. So PSA does auto authentication. I've never personally used the service, but I think what you would want to do for that is you get like photo evidence of them signing the card and stuff. And you, I'm sure there's information on PSA's website and they have a process where you submit it to them and they'll slab it as auto authentic. And then they'll send the card back to you, obviously for a price. But yeah, I think. Any like Lewandowski is a big enough legend of the game that like people, he has a lot of collectability and and value in that, and people will, will go after the autos even though they're sticker. So yeah, there's definitely some value there. Was it is it numbered or is it just one of the non-numbered autos? Um, that's a very great question. Uh, I think it's uh, 
I think it's a non. I got a Billy Gilmore auto. Um, Sufa Makoko, rookie. Um, here it is. It is a non-numbered auto right here. I mean, it would it would have definitely helped if it was numbered, but I that that still will have values. Like I saw when I was at the national. I don't know if you were there or not, but there were people that were like really like going after just like nice Lewandowski autos, nice Lewandowski patch cards. There's definitely people out there who will buy it. But I think that's like one of those type of things where you'd be better off at like a big show and like being set up somewhere at a table and having it out. And I think it would be easier to move than versus on eBay. That's fair. That's fair. My last question. Do you think, you think some of these random cards that I have or factors and stuff are worth getting graded? I know that uh, you've got some opinions on, on, on uh, pricing of the new PSA grading system. Yeah. I, I don't really think it's feasible for most of this stuff, unless it's like a really low number card of a rookie right now to grade with PSA. I actually, I've really, my opinion has changed on SGC. I used to think don't ever send anything to them. It, they're awful. It's not worth the money at all. But yeah. at this point, their turnaround times are quick. Their prices aren't outrageous. I think it's like 35 a card for, for you get it back in like two months, which is pretty good. And they've been selling holding pretty good value on the market so far. So I think like that type of stuff, like you're like the Bellingham rookies and the base, that kind of stuff. I would, if you want to grade it, I would go to SGC right now because PSA is not lowering their prices any more than what they're at, like $150 now card on their cheapest level or $100 maybe. Jeez, that's crazy, man. That for a long time. So yeah, if you want to grade SGC is a move for that type of stuff. All right, cool. And then the last thing I would say for, because uh, because I've got a bunch of people that ask me all the time, is what's the best kind of thing to put a card into? Like keep it keep it clean and fresh, and not from from getting all messed up. Penny sleeve, and then either a top loader or card saver. But card savers hard to come by because there's just not that many of them made, and so many people want them. Top loaders right. are easier to find, but yeah. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you everybody for watching. That's it for the show. Peace.